welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and today's episode is brought to you by NetHealth. And this is so exciting because NetHealth has now teamed up with Photo, which is focused on therapeutic outcomes, and they have the best industry event around outcomes management happening from October 23rd to the 25th. It's the Clinical Outcomes Summit. Rehab therapy professionals from hospitals, private practices, are gathering in Knoxville to celebrate, examine, and define outcomes management. Hear success stories and case studies from peers about leveraging outcomes data for deep patient engagement, thoughtful business practices, clinic education, optimizing revenue, and more. It's hosted by Photo, but it's not just for Photo clients. It's a gathering for everyone who believes in the power of outcomes. And as a healthy, wealthy, and smart podcast listener, you get a steep discount. The full Summit Pass is only $150. At that rate, you can bring your whole staff. Go to www.outcomesnerd.com and use the code LITZY. That's L-I-T-Z-Y. So yay for net health and big discounts on conferences. We love it. Now, on to today's episode. This was recorded live at the Combined Sections meeting in Washington, D.C. a few weeks ago. Dr. Jenna Cantor is back, and I love that she's bringing the inside workings of the APTA to the outside world. In this interview, she sits down with Phil Tigell. He is a physical therapist and is the private practice section bylaws committee chair. The bylaws committee reviews, maintains, and updates the section bylaws to meet the needs of the membership and the requirements uh, specified in the guidelines set forth by the APTA. In this episode, they discuss what information is contained within the bylaws, the process for changing a bylaw, and the multiple avenues you can enact change within your professional associations. So a huge thanks to Jenna and Phil for this great talk, and like I said, bringing the inner workings of the APTA, the bylaws, out to everyone so there's more transparency and we actually know how things work. So everybody, enjoy. Hello, this is Jenna Cantor. I am here with Phil Tigell, who is the head of the bylaws committee for the APTA private practice section. So first of all, thank you so much for coming on to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart to be interviewed. Uh, Thank you. My pleasure. So I just wanted to do this podcast for people to get a better understanding of bylaws and their value and why it can be a long process for some for a change. You were actually, before we even started, you started to talk about how there is this rule where it's like this five-year rule. And I would love for you to go into that, why there's a five-year rule for change. Actually, that's for APTA, not for the private practice section. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. Oh, thank you. So there we go. Something already clarified. Thank you. So for the private practice section, is there some sort of rule like that? No, you can bring up bylaw changes anytime you want to. Um, I always discourage it. Um, I always say my job as chair of the bylaws committee is to put the bylaws in an envelope, seal the envelope, and keep it sealed for the duration of the president's term. Um, Bylaws are great. They outline rights, privileges, and responsibilities. 
and they are not to be taken lightly or changed lightly. And very often people will come to me and say, we need this change in the bylaw. Um, and when I look at what they want to do, they don't have to change the bylaws to do that. Um, bylaws, as you mentioned, are somewhat rigid, and they're supposed to be. They're not easy to change. It requires prior notice to um, all of the members that you intend to change the bylaws. And the reason for that is you're changing their rights and privileges. They have a right to know that you're changing their rights and privileges. Um, you have to have prior notice of at least 30 days prior to the meeting, and then there's debate, and it takes a two-thirds majority to change any bylaw. Um, as I said, many times uh, the board will come to me and say, I want to change this bylaw. And I usually try to discourage it and figure that if there's ways to do what they want to do without changing them. Because all too often people run to the bylaws and say, we have to change this, when actually the bylaws are pretty good. They, they don't need change. Uh, for instance, there was one year the board, uh, I think it was the membership committee, wanted to have um, lowered starter dues for new members. And they wanted to change the bylaws because the dues are outlined, the, the dues structure is outlined in the bylaws. When I looked at the bylaws, though, the board had the right to lower the fee, but not raise it. So they didn't need a bylaw change to get that starter dues change in that case. They discouraged it, and we didn't go in and change the bylaws. Yeah, so you were saying that you guys meet, uh, and they have, to, they have to submit it 30 days prior. So I'm wondering, for the 30 days prior, like how often do you guys meet in general? So how many times would there be that opportunity for it to be heard and voted upon if it would get that far? Uh, technically, we have uh, two meetings a year. One at the private practice session annual conference, and I think they have one at CSM this year. I'm not even sure about that. So those are the only two times that you can change the bylaws. You do need a quorum at the meeting, which means a certain number of people have to be there. And usually at the CSM uh, business meeting, you don't have one. So pretty much the only time we try to change bylaws, if needed, is at the annual conference. Um, as I said, the 30 days notice goes out. And all of the discussion occurs at the meeting and you know, at the business meeting when we vote. From your experience, how actually how long have you been in this position? First of all, and then from from your experience and all the years that you've been in this position, how many bylaws have you actually changed? I think I've been doing it about twenty years now. Um, nobody else wants it, <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> uh, so I keep on getting uh, recycled. Um, and in those years, uh, I think we probably changed, minor, made minor changes to bylaws about five times. Five times. And don't ask me what those changes were. Just, just I put the envelope away. <laughs> so for you, it, it doesn't sound like it makes much of a difference when these bylaws are changed that much because it really is set up pretty well already? They, they, I think they're pretty good. I mean, they, they say, let members know uh, what they're entitled to do. Um, what their dues are going to be, um, if they have concerns, how to raise those concerns. Uh, it tells them how often we have meetings, um, what prior notice is needed for meetings. It lays out the fiscal responsibilities of the board uh, and all of the board positions. So most of that doesn't have to be changed. Uh, it can stay where it is. Uh, sometimes I've been in situations where one of the positions on the board 
has certain responsibilities that are assigned, like they're in charge of three committees. And sometimes people want to put that in the bylaws, that the vice president will be in charge of these committees. And that's usually a mistake because you'll change committee liaisonships based on um, the new personnel you have. You know, you're going to elect new people every three years. And you might have one person who's vice president who's very good on programming, so they will be liaison to the program committee. Uh, the next uh, vice president might be much better off in communication, so they would better be the liaison to um, publications committee, that type of thing. So you don't want certain things you don't want etched in stone in the bylaws. Remember, if you make a mistake with the bylaws, it also takes a two-thirds majority to correct that mistake. So sometimes bylaws mistakes stay in place for years and years. So uh, again, you want to tread very lightly on changing them. Well, I mean, you were already saying that you're only meeting two times a year, so that already is a limitation on getting that two-thirds majority vote, so I can definitely see how that could be uh, impeding on change. Now, I definitely have to be honest, from my perspective, this seems like a definite area where there might be room for change in my mindset, because I'm a new grad, so I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this sounds so stagnant, like there's not a set way to really make big, big changes. I would love for you to speak on where my brain is going and educate me. And we'll get the answer to that right after this quick break to hear from our sponsor. Let's talk about something important, patients and their outcomes. If you love to nerd out on this kind of talk like I do, the best industry event around outcomes management is happening from October 23rd to the 25th, and it's the Clinical Outcomes Summit. It's hosted by Photo, but it's not just for Photo clients. It's a gathering of everyone who believes in the power of outcomes management to drive change for patients, clinicians, practices, and payers. And the best part, healthy, wealthy, and smart podcast listeners get a steep discount on the registration. The full summit pass is only $150. At that rate, go ahead and bring your entire team. Go to www.outcomesnerd.com and use the discount code LITZY. That's L-I-T-Z-Y. Hope to see you there. Actually, there's a way. There's lots of ways to make big, big changes that don't require bylaws changes. Uh, for instance, um, let's say there was a direction that you wanted the private practice section to take. You wanted them to lobby Congress to do something, and you wanted to make that a priority. That's not a bylaws issue. You would show up at a business meeting and say, I move that the private practice section endorse this position. Okay? Now, first of all, that does not require prior notice. It only requires a majority vote, not a two-thirds vote. And those are the more important things that most of us are concerned about. Which way we're going? What do we want to accomplish? Those things are not in the bylaws. What is in the bylaws is how you can do those things. The fact that you have to have these meetings, that you have the right to speak, that you have the right to vote, that you have the right to make motions. So that's a very, very fluid process. Also, remember, sometimes if you have a really good idea that nobody else thought about, you can go to the board and say to the board, hey, why doesn't the section do this? Same with your, your state association and all that. So you can just say, let's make this happen, and that can be done with a snap of a finger. So not being able to change the bylaws does not restrict what you want to accomplish. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. And then what do you do if somebody is saying it's not in the bylaws, it doesn't allow it in the bylaws, and then you can't find that it's in the bylaws 
So how, what is the professional way to handle that kind of communication with that individual that you're trying to work with? Well, the first thing I usually do is ask, what is it you're trying to accomplish? And I want to see if there's a way they can accomplish that without having a change in the bylaws. If we find that um, they do need a change in the bylaw to, to accomplish what they want to accomplish, let's say they want to add two new people to the board of directors, that would require a, a bylaws change. Um, we would then um, draft a motion Say, I move to change the bylaws by changing this section on uh, the board of directors by adding two positions. Uh, the uh, executive board would look at it and uh, see if they approved it, which they don't have to do. This is a membership. Membership has priority over leadership. We should always keep in mind that the pyramid is inverted. Membership is on top. President is way at the bottom. So the, 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 the membership has the right to do what they want to. So anyway, then we would um, draft the bylaw. In the case of uh, APTA sections, uh, chapters, the, any bylaw change that uh, the section has has to be in keeping with the bylaws of APTA. So we'd run it by APTA to make sure it's not in violation of anything that APTA wants to do. Or, or says you have to do. Um, for instance, just to, let's say we wanted a bylaw change that would prevent life members from being uh, members of the section. I don't know why anybody would want to do that, but the APTA would look at that and say, you can't do that. It's, that's a violation of the APTA bylaws. So we do have that higher authority. Anyway, if the bylaw is in keeping with, with what the APTA will allow, um, we would publish it uh, to the membership and one of the... the um, probably an impact or maybe online saying we will be voting on this bylaw at the next meeting. Next meeting comes and the bylaw is moved um, and someone has to second it and then there's debate and then they call for a vote. Since you need a two-thirds majority uh, usually that would either be done by a standing vote and if it's clear two-thirds majority with a standing vote uh, it's carried if it's not clear with a standing vote, but it could be close, you do a, a roll call vote where everybody stands up and counts off. Um, and if you don't get your two thirds, you don't get the bylaw. Right, right, right. And that's it's, it's important because remember what we, I said originally: uh, the bylaw protects your rights and privileges, as do Robert's rules of order. So even if there's a, 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 a fairly hefty majority that feels that their rights and privileges are being violated, they have a right to say, "We're not going to let you pass this." I like how you connected it back to the APTA because they are the higher organ, you know, umbrella organization, if you will, of the private practice section. And this actually can segue into what I was mixing up at the beginning of this interview. So if you wanted to, if you wanted to make a change, but it didn't go in accordance with the APTA bylaws, now this is where they have the time limit on how often. Yes, and. It it got to be a nuisance. Uh, people would come in with requiring bylaws changes every year, and many of them were really not necessary. But they are very time-consuming to debate. Um, so many years ago, and don't ask me how long ago, it was moved and seconded and passed that, and it's in the bylaws, that you can only have bylaws amendments uh, every five years, I think it is. With and the APTA. With the APTA. With the APTA. And that goes through the House of Delegates. Yeah. 
which is a completely different process. Membership doesn't vote there, your delegates do. Um, that can be bypassed, but requires a two-thirds vote just to hear the bylaw if you want to do it in an off-bylaw year. So it, it, it got rid of some of that cumbersome activity that really wasn't necessary. No, it's, it's really good to hear your perspective and just gain a better understanding of how well put together everything already is and why it may not be the fastest for the change, but there's a big reason for that. So thank you so much, Phil, for coming on to just share your knowledge so people who are looking for change, they may not necessarily, well, now they know, they may not necessarily need to go to you to find out about how to change the bylaws. There actually still is a lot of opportunities to get it done elsewhere. So thank you so much. My pleasure. I think the, the, the main message is that the association, whether it's private practice section or any other section, belongs to the membership. And they have rights and privileges. They can make change. And sometimes the change comes from a single person with a new idea. And sometimes that new idea is violently objected to by people in leadership, people who've been there forever. But there is a mechanism to be heard. There is a mechanism to make change and advance. And we do very well with it. Sometimes a good idea takes three or four years to pass, but that's not because of the, the system. It's just because it took you that long to get people to understand what you were trying to do. But that's not necessarily bad. That's good, and I love that. I like how it really does revolve around membership because we are all in this together. And for us to just come forward with an idea thinking, oh, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, that's not how it works in a community at all. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. A big thanks to Jenna and Phil for a great discussion, and hopefully we all have a better idea of how things are running over there at the APTA as far as bylaws are concerned and how we can change them. And of course, a huge thank you to NetHealth. So again, we are talking all about patients and their outcomes, and one of the best industry events around outcomes management is happening from October 23rd to the 25th. It's the Clinical Outcomes Summit in Knoxville, Tennessee. So it is hosted by Photo, but you don't have to be a Photo client to go. If you're interested in outcomes, then I suggest you get your butt to Knoxville. Healthy, wealthy, and smart podcast listeners get a steep discount on the registration. It's only 150 bucks at that rate. Go ahead and bring your entire team. Go to www.outcomesnerd.com and use the discount code Litzy. That's L-I-T-Z-Y. You can also click on the link at the show notes at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and we hope to see you in Knoxville. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.